Welcome everybody, I'm Jared, he's DJ, and this is Number One Bullshit. They're going to catch another SEMO game. They are currently undefeated undefeated in the OVC Big South Alliance. Nice. So even, th- even though they have played like hot garbage outside of that, um, they are still alive for conference championship and playoffs. So, should so be, uh, I don't know when the college football season's over. Uh, it depends on the division. SEMO is FCS, so they play, I think this season it's 11 games. Some seasons they play 12 games. Some seasons it's 11. It all has to do with timing of scheduling for them because they have like a legitimate playoff that takes some time. Uh, but the it's usually like Thanksgiving time that uh, weekend the weekend really? after thanksgiving yeah so the weekend after thanksgiving is usually like the last regular season game for major college teams that's when like a bunch of the rivalries are like florida florida state michigan ohio state like those types of games and then the following week is conference championship week and then the week after that is army navy is that like an yeah. always thing yeah it, it used to be Army Navy is like always the last game of the year before bowl games, oh. and, but but it's going to get messed up now because Navy's in a conference and Army's about to join a conference. But I think they're going to be in the same conference, but you can't have a conference game after the conference championship. So it'll it'll get funky. But college sports in general are getting really funky right now just because the uh, the amount of money that's being made off of what was free labor and technically still is free labor because they can't. The schools can't pay the players directly. So the players are getting paid, but all of the money they generate for the school is still just going to the schools. So, yeah, so it's like there's so much, so much money involved now that it's it's wild. You have players now, and I know you and I talked about it before when we were experimenting with the other podcast uh, where – they there's now like opportunity where people are like, yeah, I'm not going pro. I'm going to stay in college and make a million dollars again next year. <laughs> so it's kind of, kind of a cool deal. So do you think that, um, cause one of the, I don't watch college sports really yeah. at all, but one of the things is like, the reason why I like college is because the players are playing for the passion. I mean, now people that, aren't going to be able to say that, right? <laughs> people are gonna be yeah. Like, I mean, they haven't for a long time. It's just, it wasn't out in the open. I mean, like at at the levels that I coached at, Division Three and FCS, like I've seen coaches hand players money, right? Like it, it happens. Yeah. So this idea that it, the game was pure before NIL is bullshit. It's just now it's out in the open as opposed to just the teams that could afford bag men to like, hey, Cam Newton, we're going to build your dad a church. Um, oh. and you know, now it's just like, Hey, Cam Newton, we're just going to outright pay you money. <laughs> so yeah, they, there used to be like a lot of griminess that would go on, but it was always under the surface. And now it's just in everybody's face and all these people that used to try to pretend that it was like really pure, or like, Oh, like clutching their pearls, acting like this is some crazy thing. And it's like, no, you just, kids are just outright getting paid they're not breaking the law now to get paid so it, it, is that going to also change recruiting where it's like oh it already has yeah tight. yeah so there's uh, it's changed it in a couple ways uh because now you can 
I mean, you technically you're not allowed to recruit based off of like money, mm. but what you can say is like, look, we have this system set up where, you know, our top guys are making the average amount our guys are making is X. Um, and then you have teams like the university of Utah gave all of their scholarship players, brand new trucks. That's part of like a sponsorship deal. The, one of the really cool things that Utah or not Utah BYU did was there is a there's some like power bar company that sponsors them and so what they did was for all of the walk-ons they're getting they're giving money to everybody but for all of the walk-ons the walk-ons just have to make a couple more public appearances and they're getting the equivalent of the money they would get from a scholarship so now those walk-ons are making money so it's basically like they're not going in debt to to go to school which Good and bad. The good to that is you open it up to now. Well, I don't have to. I can go to the school I want to go to because tuition is going to be paid for. Even if they're not giving me a scholarship, I can walk on there and the money's not an issue anymore. As opposed to in the past, it's like, listen, I have a scholarship to go to this other school. Don't want to go there, but it's the only scholarship I have and I can't afford to pay for my own school. So it's a, they just need to get a, I'll get hate for this, but they just need to get rid of collegiate athletics and make it clubs and make it all like amateur or not amateur, but like semi-pro, like minor league stuff like they do in Europe with the with soccer. Yeah, but they don't need to do that for what football, basketball. Like they baseball can't, baseball already does it. Uh, baseball too, to, but they can't to a do, degree. They can't do it for like rowing. Yeah, but those those sports don't generate money. Yeah. Right. The, the issue is where the money comes But in. the thing is you say get rid of collegiate. Like, I, I mean, like the big time oh, sports where like Zion Williamson, hell of a basketball player. Nobody had any illusions that he was going to get a degree from Duke, <laughs> right? Like it, he would have gone directly to the NBA, but he couldn't because there was a rule in place. So he had to go to school and not attend a single class for a year <laughs> and then go pro and get paid. Yeah, so yeah, like yeah. he shouldn't have to do that. Let him go make money because if he blew his knee out and was never the same player, he wouldn't have been able to like his career's fucked. Yeah. And we don't do that for like a musician where it's like, no, 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 no. You have to go get your music degree first before you can go make an album. Like we don't <laughs> do that. You know, same thing for actors. It's not like, hey, you got to go be in some collegiate production of, you know, whatever cats in, in order to be able well, to then they, act they in they movies. Do, that's not true. They do do for actors. You have to wait. Be a waiter, wear a waitress. Apparently. So you <laughs> yeah. Have to be. You have to work in the service yeah, industry. You have to be. Possibly a barista. Ain't nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, hey, no, no hate to the baristas out there. Uh, make depending on where you work, you probably make good money. Yeah, yeah. So from baristas to fighters that right. I'm interested in because we don't have any fights to review this week, seeing as it is one of the rare off weeks. Even though we just had one a couple weeks ago, it's like they get them all at the same time. It's still uh, rare, right? man. It's still rare. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, like I said, spend time with family and watching football today. Uh, but fighters that I'm very excited about, the card coming up is that fight night in Sao Paulo. That is November 4th, so coming up next Saturday. And, of course, Brazilian card. So it is loaded with Brazilian fighters. Uh, first one that I want to highlight is Eduarda Mora. She is coming off of the Contender Series. She's taking on Montserrat Canejo at strawweight. Amora is an interesting one. She's 9-0. She has eight finishes, three by sub, five, or sorry, three by knockout, five by sub. 
She has nine fights already. She went pro in March of last year. Insane. So she's been fighting like every two-ish months, like every nine weeks or so. She fought on week two of the Contender Series this season. And I'm a fan because she trains with Jailton Almeida, and Jailton Almeida is one of the most intriguing prospects, I think, out there. And we're going to talk about him in a bit. Uh, but up until this point, she has fought very inexperienced fighters, you know, people that were on the same path as her, people that had not been pro for very long. Montserrat Canejo is a, uh, you know, Olympic caliber wrestler. I believe she was a, the national champion in Mexico in mm -hmm. wrestling and has experience. She has fought in the UFC a few times already. And I'm saying Montserrat Canejo, her real last name is Ruiz, but she goes by Canejo, which means bunny. Uh, but she has already fought three times in the UFC. So, you know, it's not like, I mean, this is a really, really big, big step up in competition for Mora. So we're going to learn a lot. We're going to know, you know, where exactly she's at because she has done to the competition she's faced what you would expect a, a good prospect to do. So we'll we'll learn there. Yeah. And, and her nickname is Rhonda. Is that anything to do with like Rousey? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's it's actually really interesting. And it just lets you know the impact that Ronda Rousey had. There's a bunch of female fighters with some variation of the nickname Ronda, whether it's Ronda, Rondinha, uh, Alaskarov, uh, who fought last week. Mm -hmm. uh, she, um, not Alaskarov, that's Ikram. Uh, yeah, no, 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 not, not Ikram. Um, gosh, I'm blanking on her, her name right now. She fought Melissa Dixon I last, you. Melissa last Dixon. card. Who was it? Irina. Alexiva. Alexiva. The dang IA's got me. <laughs> um, Irina Alexiva. She goes by Russian Ronda. Oh, and wow. and she kind of she has short hair now, uh, but when she had longer hair, she did kind of look like Ronda a little bit. And it's kind of funny because they were asking her about that before her first fight in the UFC. And she was explaining, you know, it's when I had longer hair, I used to look like uh Ronda Rousey, but now I look more like Henry Cejudo. Because <laughs> she has the buzz cut. Yeah, so pretty funny there. Nice. But that like you want to talk about impact on a sport, like other people get their nicknames from you. Like that is absolutely insane. It's not something like Pitbull where there's 18 Pitbulls yeah. and, you know, it's just a cool nickname, I, I guess. Uh, but like people are using your name as their nickname. So yeah. pretty. Yeah, that's super cool. I mean, yeah, just amazing. Well, I don't know if we'll ever see that again. Right. Like the closest we had was there was a Russian fighter called Baby Fedor. But you don't have like mini Connor or, you know, or. You know, John Connor Smith. Like, that's just, that doesn't happen. Which John Connor Terminator, I get it. I, I imagine we would, though, just because, like, Sugar Sean, you know, like, you have those, like, kind of reach outs to boxing where, yeah. you know, and I, I'd imagine that. 20, but that's not somebody's name. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. It, it would be like, I don't know who has a, a unique. That's what I'm trying to think of. Like, a, because Ronda's not a unique name, but like when you say Ronda, you know, if you're talking about MMA Ronda, you know who you're talking about. Like, if you say yeah, John, it, you're like, John who? It would be like somebody, if somebody came along and their nickname was Izzy. Oh, yeah. You know, or Anderson. Like, yeah. it, it's wild that, that yeah, it's not a it, single occurrence. You're right. You're using <laughs> the name rather than the name. Like, instead of using like a play on Mighty Mouse, you're using like Demetrius as your yeah. nickname. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Hey, man, that's my name, bro. Don't use your nickname yeah. as my name. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Talk about impact, man. Yeah. Um, and then from one straw weight to another, 
Denise Gomes, she is very, very exciting. And she's getting a huge, huge step up in competition. She's taking on uh, one of our favorites, uh, Angela Hill, who's just always in, you know, always game. Angela Hill's ranked number 12. Denise Gomez, unranked, or Denise Gomes, sorry, unranked coming in fighting the number 12 fighter in the division. Gomes is only 23 years old. Yeah. She's had 10 pro fights. She's eight and two. She has six finishes all coming by way of knockout. And her last performance was incredibly, incredibly impressive. She knocked out uh, Jasmine Howergy in 20 seconds flat, and she was a plus 285 dog. Howergy had all the hype coming off of uh, her win. She she had beaten uh, Lucindo, Yasmin Lucindo before that. Uh, she'd beaten Estella Nunez. So she was 2-0 and in the UFC, had all of this hype behind her. And Denise was like, yeah, now hold my beer. Like, <laughs> this this is my time. I only, and, got, I only got 30 seconds. I got to finish this fight. You know, yeah, got to be somewhere. Yeah, I got, some, <laughs> got some shit I got to take care of. <laughs> and before that, she was taking on Bruna Brazil, who was also one of these prospects coming off the contender series. She wasn't as big of an underdog in that fight. She was just a plus 130. But coming off of two performances against contender, or not contenders, but these young prospects. And she's like, well, I'm, hey guys, I'm a young prospect too. And she's, Put both of them away. Like that's not an easy thing to do. It's not something that we see commonly at the 115 weight class. So in both instances, it wasn't just like an accumulation. They couldn't get, I mean, obviously 20 seconds. Like somebody got hurt very badly. Yeah. But the fight against Bruno Brazil ended in the second round. But it's not like that was just a she can't get out of the position. I mean, she is Gomes is hurting people. And, really, really hurting people. And, and to your thing, like when you're a prospect, you want to be beating other fight. When you're a prospect beating the other prospects, it's like, oh, you're the prospect of the prospects, right? I know you mm -hmm. love a good prospect. So it's yes. like it's fighting someone like Angela Hill, though, is not Angela Hill's not a prospect. She's established. I, I know her last mm -hmm. fight against Dern was like Dern's ultimate performance, right? She she was yep. like, I'm coming out to kill. Angela Hill's no slouch though. No, you might beat her, but it's usually by decision. <laughs> you know, it's yes. like usually by like a split decision where you're like, I thought Angela Hill won. So I know you love a prospect beating prospects. When you have this prospect beating other prospects and stop them, it's like, okay, well, you've earned this opportunity in a division that could use it. So it's gonna be interesting to see Gomes come in and if in the in the universe where she or the multiverse where she wins, like, do you just throw it to the dogs at this point? <laughs> like, what do you do after that? Well, it's a it's definitely a different scenario than the Mackenzie Dern fight. Sure. Because Mackenzie Dern was ranked. She'd fought in big fights before. But Mackenzie Dern's now ranked seventh mm -hmm. after beating her. So that plays into it. Obviously, if Gomes wins, you can't have Angela Hill ranked above her. So you either drop Angela Hill out, which I would completely understand, and put Gomes in there somewhere between 12 and 15 or she just takes her spot. It's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting. One 115 is starting to heat up a little bit too. Like 125 is we, we have a great matchup coming up uh, in a few months with Tabitha Ricci, Lupi Godinez. Yeah. Uh, we have these, these younger 115 fighters starting to come along now. And so 
let's not forget the the woman that just got knocked out in 20 seconds by Gomes. Jasmine Howergy is by no means not going to be good. She is she's still the prospect that she was. She just got clipped in a fight and put away. Yep. So I think you used a very good word there with earned. She has earned this opportunity. And if she can get this win, then it is off to the races. No easy fights. You're only taking on killers from that point on. So I think it is a very, very high stakes for Gomes. Mm -hmm. But it's also an instance, and this is something that we're going to talk about, where a mirror is going to be held up to her. Angela Hill is going to be there till the end. Yep. So she is going to show Denise Gomes who she is. Absolutely. Like either you you can last with somebody who's not going away or you can't. Yeah. And and so I it's very intriguing because for the Howergy Gomes fight, I was we talked about Howergy. We did not talk about Gomes. Yep. And then come actual record the the review, not the preview. We were talking <laughs> about Gomes, not Howergy. Yep. And so She's working her way up. Love to see it and very intrigued for that because we know what Angela Hill is and we know the test that that'll provide. She's almost, I wouldn't say she's on that, but she's almost a Neil Magny-ish type character, right? Where it's like you have mm -hmm. to you have to beat her, but she she can beat you. Except Neil Magny had like a little bit better uh, or he had more things go his way. How about that? Yes, yeah. yeah. And, and with Angela Hill too, it's, Similar to Neil Magny, I really, really like that comparison. There's not, it's not a super high risk fight from the standpoint of Angela Hill does not carry power. Yeah. She is a volume striker. So you can get away with mistakes and still win in a fight like that. And it just shows you some of the holes in your game because Angela Hill will expose those holes. But it, it's not dire consequences where like it is if Denise Gomes yep. shows you the holes in your game. Correct. So very intriguing matchup. And then we have something kind of similar in, in the next fight we're going to talk about with Vitor Petrino taking on Modestus Bokowskis at light heavyweight. Petrino is one of these very intriguing Brazilian prospects. Light heavyweight division needs some of these. We, yes. we need some of these younger fighters to start working their way up because when you look at the rankings at light heavyweight, I mean, obviously one of the champions, but maybe not actually the champion. I don't know. UFC site still shows him as the champion, Jamal Hill, uh, but he's not fighting for the belt, which is coming up here next month. But then that fight isn't for an interim belt. I don't know, man. The I'm super confused. It's, it's so it's super like all William Defoe up right now. Dude. <laughs> yes, yes, I am straight confused. <laughs> I gotta sit down. <laughs> but when you look at light heavyweight, the we talked about a little bit last week because of Ankalaya versus Johnny Walker happening. Ankalaya is kind of one of the new generation, but he's also been up there for a while. You look past that. You know, the rankings are populated by people like Jan Blahovich, Nikita Krilov, Ozdemir, Anthony Smith, Dominic Reyes. You know, once you get to the bottom, there's a couple guys like a Khalil Roundtree, but he's been around for a while. Azamat Mirzakhanov, which that's going to be a fight. And then we have 14 versus 15, also booked Menafield versus Dustin Jacoby. But that weight class needs some new blood, and Petrino can be that guy. Yep. He's 9-0. Seven finishes, six by way of knockout. He looks 
like he's fucking carved out of marble, like just ab- like looks like what you would think a fighter is supposed to look like. Yeah. 2-0 in the UFC, and his one submission actually came in the UFC, which is pretty impressive. And that was against Prakniao, who has a super weird style. Rewatching that fight, Prakniao is like just awkward movement. He looks not like what you would expect a super dangerous fighter to look like though he is. But the interesting thing about Petrino is he has shown improvement in every single fight from the contender series to when he took on Anton Turkali, the pleasure man, <laughs> to then taking on Prakniao. Each time you are seeing growth in his game and he's so calm in there that like against Pragnow, he's just bodying him up, has position. Pragnow can't do anything. And he's looking over and having a conversation with his corner about what the next steps in the position are to get to where he's trying to go, which you can't teach that level of calm in a in a firefight. You either have that or you don't, and he definitely has it. The fact that on the regional scene, he wasn't able to get a submission and then did it in the UFC just lets you know his levels of improvement. Now, also in the regional scene, he was just fucking people yeah. up like very quickly. Yeah. But this is not a- an easy test by any means fighting Bukowskis. You might remember him from getting his knee absolutely destroyed by Khalil Roundtree on that stomp. Was out of the UFC, but since coming back, 2-0 in the UFC has that win over Tyson Pedro, which we know Tyson Pedro is very much up and down, and the fight got out of the first round, so obviously it was not going to be his night. Uh, but that's that's a very, very good win for Bukowskis. And so for Petrino here to be taking on a guy who has 20 professional fights, who's been in there with top 15 guys like Khalil Roundtree, borderline top 15 guys like Tyson Pedro. This is a really big test for Petrino. Yeah, and it's, it's you know, a, a good time to highlight him, but also, I mean, good time for him to highlight himself, but also the light heavyweight just needs some some spark, right? With, with, with you starting off this part of the conversation by saying, I don't even know who the champion is. It's like, okay, there's a <laughs> there's a problem in there. So, you know, Petrino comes out and shows his ass. It's like, you know, we, we need you in the mix. Right now, we need some exciting things. Be good on the mic uh, if you can. You know, you're in, yeah. get a good win. But, I mean, I don't know. It's uh, the Baltic Gladiator. You know, he's he's yeah, he's pretty he's good. Enormous. <laughs> he's pretty good. He's enormous. <laughs> he's when good. you look at it, kind of reminds me a little bit of Johnny Walker. Obviously, not that big. Yeah. But like you look at Bukowski's lower body, is he's big. I guess a better comparison would be like a bigger Leon Edwards, mm. where just that really thick lower body was like, oh, your upper body doesn't match your lower body at yeah. all. Um, and that's the the kind of build that he has, which not easy to grapple. Mm. <laughs> Those guys can can sprawl. So we're going to learn about Vitor Petrino, which these fight nights, we talk about it all the time. That's what these are about, is learning about some of these prospects. You're going to get these favorable matchups. You're going to get some intriguing matchups with consequence, but also a lot of it is, let's see if this person can take the next step. Fair. And somebody that has been on everybody's radar, especially since coming to the UFC, is Renat Fakhradinov. Who, after what he did to Kevin Lee in the last fight where he trapped 
his hand behind his leg so he couldn't tap and then choked him unconscious until the ref pulled him off. (laughs) I mean, it was brutal. And, and, And not cutting Kevin Lee's not what he used to be. But that was correct. That was like well, killer shit. He has a win over Diego Sanchez. <laughs> okay, my bag. Uh, but yeah. like that was savage. Watching that was like some yes. killer shit. Where you're like, oh, you murder people for real, real. You know, it was yeah. it was awesome. Yeah, he's he's scary. He yeah. is scary. He's one of these guys on the outside of the top fifteen in welterweight that has us super excited about yeah. the welterweight yeah. division, and he is taking on. I'm just going to say Capoeira Dos Santos because the real name is Elizio Zaleski Dos Santos. We'll, we'll go Capoeira, but on the way. But Fakhradinov, 24 professional fights. He's 22 and 2, 18 finishes, 11 by knockout, 7 by submission. The guy is scary. And oh, he is on a 20 fight win streak. Is that, is the that, last- is that good or? It's not bad. Okay. It's, okay. it's not bad. So let's put it this way. His last loss was in June of 2014. So just for some context, shall we say, the women's fights that are happening on this card would not have been able to happen in the UFC because the last time Renat Fakhradinov lost, women's bantamweight was the only women's division in the UFC. The last time that Renat Fakhradinov lost, and he's a welterweight fighter, so we'll talk about what the welterweight division looked like at the time. Johnny Hendricks <laughs> was the champion. I repeat, mm. Johnny Hendricks yeah. was the champion. So this was even before Robbie Lawler, before Woodley, right? Like this, Jesus. that's how long ago the last time this guy lost was. Jesus. Yeah, he is terrifying. He is an absolutely terrifying human being. So in his UFC fights, he has a total of 30 minutes and 55 seconds of cage time. He has 27 minutes and 31 seconds of control time. Uh, so you're saying that he needs to really work on his control? Yeah, it's not very good. I mean, he still has so, three minutes more than he could have done. I'm just saying. Yeah, exactly, right? You're at like 90%, you know? <laughs> yes. Like, if you're cool with an A- minus Renat, then okay. Uh, so close to Renob, I just have to say it. Go it, ahead. it is. It's very close to Renob, and I keep having to catch myself because I'm way too scared of this guy to call him Renob. 100%. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're looking at, he had 14 minutes of control time in his first fight and 13 minutes of control time in his second fight. Jesus Christ. 27 minutes of the 30 minutes of his first two fights. I know what you're thinking. Well, Jared, he's only been in the cage for 30 minutes and 55 seconds. And if two of those fights <laughs> went 15 minutes, that's that's 30. So 30, 55 minus. Oh, that's right. He put away Kevin Lee in under a minute yeah. and just mauled him, hit him, hurt him, choked him unconscious, put on his traditional hat and celebrated. I mean, it was impressive. He He is very... Just one of those people that's like not fun to fight. Yep. He mauls you the the constant pressure, and he does it to where pressure, pressure, pressure. You start to create an opening. Vicious ground and pound. Vicious ground and pound. And the he wasn't short hair, Pooh Bear. He had long hair, so we can still call him Pooh Bear. He wasn't the butcher at that point. But his fight with Brian Battle, and I think it was actually a very, very good thing for Brian Battle to get controlled like this because he has come. 
back like a savage yep. since then. But he was letting battle pick his poison. He had him down against the cage. And if he would stand up in a way where he was protecting his face, then he would just drag him back down. But if he postured and put his hand down on the ground to try to stand up, he was getting correct <laughs> i mean it was it was brutal i mean one of those things where a good on brian battle for continuing to to you know fight and not give up because it was just like cool if i try to stand up and protect myself i'm just wasting energy yeah and if i don't i'm gonna get fucking rocked yeah it is yes he his last two fights he dropped both of them straight right hand Kevin Lee and Brian Battle. Just he doesn't have this flashy striking, but he carries power. And we see it a lot with these mauling grapplers. Not the jujitsu guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the the guys that are very much controlled, just pressure grapplers. They have the core strength to where it translates to being able to put people's lights out and hurt people. Yeah, I was about to say, it's probably because the core strength position. This guy, I mean, I don't think we've ever done this on any of it, but as far as fighters to watch go, you seem, this is one of the most jazzed I've heard you. Just like, can't wait to see him back in the cage. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, and and the one of the reasons I'm so excited is the potential of what is ahead for him. Yeah. Because of this division, and we're going to talk about a, another one for, in the co-main event who is amazing. But once again, you take it back to this division that has Shavkat, that has Jack Della, that has proper Mike Malott, you know, Sean Brady, people are forgetting about. Oh, yeah, IMG. Mm -hmm. right, and now you have Fakhradinov. It is a great, great time for the welterweight division, and he is one of the most exciting fighters in in my opinion of that group which i think says a lot yeah the world of Raider visions starting to get you know we'll see what happens with colby leon and all that shit uh mm -hmm. you know uh once we get past that like we have a lot of future talk especially with someone else maybe coming to the world Raider division to the yeah UFC, so, you know? yeah old mvp <laughs> yeah. yeah they can't like they can't deny it yeah right they they can't do what they did it what they had still doing it lightweight they're not going to be able to do that at welterweight Correct. because not only are these up-and-comers getting wins they're fucking people up yeah right they, they are getting big wins you know what what img did that was a we don't see people treat neil magny like nope. that you know what shavkat did to jeff neil like we don't see that yeah what he did to neil magny we don't see that right there's these young guys are a ton ton of fun to watch and guess who's now proper mike malott has his chance to you know pass the neil magny test like, it's just it's awesome what a fucking division poor neil magny <laughs> yeah poor yeah exactly poor neil poor neil and then that takes us from our fighters to watch to our fights to watch just some of these intriguing matchups one that's interesting to me and it's from the other division that is incredibly incredibly exciting in the ufc at bantamweight we have Daniel Marcos versus uh, Victor Hugo, the hunchback. Say, say no more. This fight's going to be yeah. awesome. I don't care, what you, say. Yeah, I don't care what you say about this. Good fight. <laughs> and Daniel Marcos, undefeated, 15-0, eight coming by way of stoppage, all of those knockouts. So no no submissions here. But he is 2-0 in the UFC. And his last win was against Davey Grant. 
And Davy Grant didn't get the nickname Dangerous for nothing. Yeah, and that we was saw a, what he did to his son Sal. And, and that was a tough one because it felt underwhelming for Marcos, but it also felt like eh, maybe Grant kind of won that fight a little bit. Yes, a little bit. yeah, it, and it's hundred yeah. percent. There's a very, very good argument that Davy Grant won that fight. That being said, Davy Grant did not win the fight when it on the you know for the three people that actually matter as as it comes down to win bonuses yeah. uh, the judges and yeah. and so you know Marcos is still sitting undefeated it's interesting because this this division all killers all killers it doesn't matter you could take the the worst bantamweight in the UFC and they are a trained assassin yep and so ultimately people are going to be gunning for Marcos, because, hey, here's an undefeated fighter sure. who isn't, if you look at the skills, isn't necessarily a Christian Rodriguez, but we know what's happening there with all the weight stuff, a Marcus McGee. You know, he's not one of those guys. And so it's, yeah, I think he has a target on his back. And this is not going to be an easy fight for him. Hugo is an animal. So, yeah, I, I don't know much about Hugo. It seems like he's going to definitely have the grappling advantage in this fight, mm -hmm. right? Uh, mm -hmm. it, which is, you know, his nickname is Striker. I don't know if that has anything to do with actual, like, striking or if it's, like, something else. But it does feel like Marco's going to kind of have the stand-up advantage. he's a soccer player. Oh, Oh no! But make, making that up a hundred percent. I I believed it one hundred percent. So thanks for that. <laughs> nice. Could just went with it, and I'm like, yeah, you got it. <laughs> um, so it does seem like Hugo, from what I've seen, is going to have the, you know, kind of the grappling advantage. But Marco's got to have the striking advantage on the feet, right? He's got to. He might. Yeah. I mean, he has power. You know, he he might, but it's hard to tell with a guy like Hugo, because he is. What twenty four and four at this point in his career? He's got seventeen finishes, eight knockouts, nine submissions, and is on a thirteen fight win streak. So we just it it's hard to tell. He was on the Brazilian regional scene. Not so good. you look at some of his fights. He's fought guys with over thirty fights. However, when he was nineteen and four, he fought a guy uh, in Pancrase who had four professional fights over in Japan. So yeah, the level of competition has been very up and down, but you know, same thing for Marcos. So it's, it really is going to be hard to tell, but the last time he lost Victor Hugo lost was 2014. Jesus Christ. Tell us how right? the welterweight division was. In <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I'm pretty sure Henan Barral was the God. champion in the UFC at that point. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, wild. What that's last time this this young man lost. Yeah. You know, nine years ago, he was what, 21 years old? Yeah. Just a savage. And it's not like all of his finishes came early in his career when he was fighting younger guys. He's finished six of his last seven opponents. He has filthy leg locks. He fought earlier this month. He fought in Contender Series on October 3rd. Mm, mm, mm. I was like going back through my notes in Contender Series like, oh, no, this was a few weeks ago <laughs> that, that this man fought. Uh, and Hugo is by far the most experienced fighter that Daniel Marcos has fought. So even though Marcos has the UFC experience, it's almost a flip where like this is the, the experience test for Marcos. 
taking on Victor Hugo and not the other way around. And it's band and weight. Yeah. So <laughs> it's just going to be fun. Yeah. I'm excited about it. Yes, as you should be, <laughs> as you should be. And then we have Elvis Brenner versus Esteban, Esteban. Rebovic at lightweight. And this, ooh, this is a fun one. I'm pretty sure they have this one set up as the featured prelim. Elvis Brenner, last time we saw him, he was, I don't know if he severed his spinal cord or what, but he was shutting off Gurm. Kutataladze by punching him in the neck. Oof. It was one of the most insane ends to a fight that I can recall because Kutataladze was was getting the better of him. Yep. At, as he should have been. Elvis Brenner was a plus 500 underdog. Yeah. Starts to turn it a little bit in the third. He starts connecting a little bit, but then he throws that hook that connects right on the side of the neck and you saw Kutataladze's arms just like fall down as one of the weirdest things that I've ever seen in an MMA fight. Super scary too, because you're like, is he gonna be paralyzed? <laughs> you know, like, oh with the, yeah, with the consequence of that in the moment. That's how you feel. Obviously, he's okay, but yeah. Well, I, I haven't been able to find anything online about it. Oh, okay. like, I I was making a point to see like what is what actually happened there because he was moving after the fight, but you saw him like tapping his fingertips trying to get feeling. Yeah. But I I found nothing online that speaks to to what actually happened there. I just think it has to do with Brenner having insane power and punching something in his neck that should not have been punched. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Brenner, 18 professional fights at 26 years old, and he has 13 of his 15 wins by way of stoppage. Now that KO, TKO, whatever you want to call it, um, paralyzation of <laughs> Kutataladze yeah. uh, was only his second uh, knockout or TKO, but he's tough. Kutataladze is an absolute just skilled trained assassin yep and he was putting it on brenner and brenner was smiling at him he had a insane cut on his forehead and so since he fights out of diego lima's shoot to box camp he had the bleach blonde hair and it was bright red by the end of the fight because of all the blood and brenner's just smiling at him walking forward the man is never out of a fight he is that that's why i think as far as a featured prelim goes <laughs> this <laughs> this is just going to be fun because on the other side, Esteban is a very similar fighter. Twelve yeah. and one. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no I was going to say they very similar in terms of like they like to walk forward and stuff, but uh, I wouldn't say Esteban is his grappling could use some help, right? Like he's not. Yeah, I, I think yes, got taken down eleven times. Is it Loic? I can't. Yeah. yeah, Loic Rajabov. Yeah, Loic. Okay, Loic. 11. I mean, not saying that Brenner's going to necessarily go. I mean, he seems like he's just ready to go in there and just teep kicks and, you know, punch in mm -hmm. the face. How about this? They're both okay with getting in a brawl, but I think if Brenner, let's say he gets hurt and has to resort to like rest, I think Esteban is a little susceptible to getting taken down. And then, like, mm -hmm. uh, and in terms of like, okay, now I won the round because I got you down. That's that's yeah. that's what it seems could happen, you know. Yeah, and just what is interesting is that fight against the Tajik tank Loik Rajibov. The he was taken down eleven times, but Rajibov shot twenty two. Sure. So it, you know, ultimately, yes, you're going to get taken down. However, in the fight, his last fight, Esteban's last fight against Kamuela Kirk, 
he got taken down very easily and controlled easy, in the first round. Easy. I mean, immediately planted on his back. I think it was four plus minutes of control time in the first round. Yeah. But then Kirk couldn't take him down yeah. the the rest of the fight. So it it was really interesting. I it was intriguing to see because it was like, okay, Esteban <laughs> is learning. I gotta do it every time. Please do uh, is is learning as he's fighting yeah. you know, within the fight. It was like, okay, you know, I know what I did. I fed him my hips. I need to make sure that I'm, that I'm sprawling and, and did a much better job after that. But he carries power. Yep. Yeah. Just like Brenner does when if Deban touches you, like every time he was hitting Kamuela, you could see the look in his face of like, Oh fuck. Yeah. Like, that, that's not good. I don't like that. This is just going to be, Two very fun, powerful fighters just walking into each other because they both move forward. We know Brenner fighting out of shoot the box. We know what he's going to do. He doesn't mind getting into an absolute war. One of the intriguing things, though, was he very easily took down Kuta Taladze a few times. Yeah. And with a name like Kuta Taladze and being <laughs> from Georgia, you have to imagine the guy can wrestle. Yeah. yeah. You know? Maybe, uh, so, maybe I'm not sure. Yeah, now, <laughs> now he is he is like a K1 level kickboxer yeah, sure. too. So, but you can wrestle, right? Like you grow up doing that if you're from that part of the world. Both guys ripped to the body. I mean, this is going to be a fun fight. Neither guy's been finished. Yeah. So I think we're going to get one of those classic type 15 minute war after the fight people that might not be as into it uh the fights i mean as as we are looking up both of these guys if they didn't listen to the podcast they should have uh, but like hey who are these two dudes because they can they can go sure and then god this one's just this card for being a fight night there's so many just fun exciting fights going on here we have kyo bahalio taking on abus magomedov at middleweight and Y'all know we talk about Bahalio a lot a on lot. this podcast. Yeah, and initially it was supposed to be uh, Nursultan. Uh, I'm forgetting the, the last name. Nurts. Let's see here. Rujabwaf. There you go. Yeah, something like that. Nursultan, we'll say. Uh, and he had to French method pull out and Abus Magomedov won the sweepstakes, filling in on short notice. And for those of you that don't know about Bahalio, the, the fight nerd, fighting out of the fight nerds camp, he wears those big thick glasses coming in there. Just a grappler of the highest, highest level. His last loss in a combat sport was a grappling match to Jailton Almeida. Tight. Yeah. Yeah. And I get Almeida's a small heavyweight, but a heavyweight. I was about to say, but he's fighting heavyweights. No big deal. Yeah. Whatever. And Bahalio is massive massive for a middleweight in his last fight against Olian Jacek, which he got the finish. It was awesome. He got in the camera afterwards. He's like, I can't finish. Put some respect on my fucking name. <laughs> he was, he was pretty fired up because people were saying he's a, you know, point fighter, but in that fight, Olian Jacek fought at light heavyweight previously. And you look at those two guys and it's like, Oh no, one of these guys, it, you know, far far larger oh, than the other one easy and it was bahalio yeah, yeah it was it was very interesting to see but his stand-up style is pretty interesting he's it's not true karate but it wouldn't surprise me if he's trained with the pitbull brothers because that's where cejudo kind of got that bouncy in and out where it's not real traditional karate but it's that 
you know, dart in, dart out type style. And Bahayo shows that in his stand-up game, throws calf kicks and one of the few fights where he actually could, which was that Olean Jacek fight because he is a southpaw. Yep. Calf kick's not always there. But you look at Magomedov, who we just saw get broken. And once again, don't like to say that, but he did. He got did. broken by Sean Strickland. You Sean have, Strickland does that to people. Yeah, you can say he got gassed, but it was it was first round. You're like, oh, okay. Second round, it, it, you're just throw. Oh, well, I guess really into the first round, right? It's kind of where it mm-hmm. started. Started turn, uh, but the the end of the, I'm I'm sorry, the second round. It's just winging punches, hoping for the best, and Sean Strickland in your face. Not, I mean, obviously we see what Sean Strickland can do, but broken. It felt like that where it was just like I'm exhausted after one round. Not not a great look, mm-hmm. especially fighting someone that's probably going to aggressively <laughs> try to take you down, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and how does that play on Magomedov? Because he he had lost back in 2018, but it was a 33-second, got clipped, knocked unconscious. Exactly. So that wasn't this, you know, this man is better than me and broke me down, which is what he now has to deal with. Now, it might make it a little easier seeing that that guy is now the champion. Yeah. But also, if you think you're a world champion, it shouldn't make you feel better because that's the kind of fight you have to win. But I want to know how he how he responds, and I'm very interest, interested to see Bahalio's plan. Is he going to just immediately start shooting for takedowns? He That's not necessarily his style. Correct. He does like to stand on the feet for a while and then get to the takedown, but you are playing with fire with Abus when you do that. We saw what he did in his UFC debut, that knockout of Stolfitz in, what, 19 seconds with the front kick. So you better not be shooting because you're going to catch something up the middle. We saw the force he was putting into his strikes against Strickland. I mean, everything was a ton of – it's one of the reasons he gassed out, right? Because he is throwing everything with 100% power. So does Bahalio try to get him to the ground early and, and try to wear on his gas tank so he's not in danger? when the fight is stood back up in the second to start the second round. I don't know. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've only seen a, a little bit of Magomedov seems kind of kick heavy, but when you're yep. kick heavy, maybe your balance is off. And one thing about Bahia, I mean, if he, if he's going to, but I saw a stat on him and it was 60 minutes inside the cage with 66% takedown defense. You're going to get taken down if you don't knock him out. I mean, it's, it's going to happen in a, in a three-round fight, it's not going to be on the feet the whole time. It's just not. Now, mm-hmm. does he get does he get tired again in the second round? If that's the case, the takedown's even easier. That sixty-six percent goes to ninety. You know, yeah. because maybe you catch yourself on the cage. It's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to kind of see because, you know, you have to de- like you said, Magomedov has to deal with what happened in his last fight, and what happened in your last fight is like, are you ready to? grow from that and then fight somebody you know strickland wore him out on the feet which is a different type of wear out than someone dragging their body weight on you it's gonna be oh it, it could be a long night for for maga Madoff if bahayo just can can uh implement like a, a wrestling heavy game yeah, or a short night it could be a seven minute it, kind it, of night absolutely <laughs> yeah. it, it could be it could be either way but if this goes yeah. five if this if for some reason, you fall asleep during the fights and you call me like, oh, did that fight go all three rounds? Yeah, it did. You're not going to think Maga Madoff just like dominated. You're going to be like, oh, Bahia must have done what he did. I mean, that's that's, yes. how, that's my opinion. 
Yeah, that's exactly how I would look at it. And the the interesting thing here is even though Abus has fought for championships before in other organizations, you look at who Bahalio has fought in the UFC already. Yeah. It lets you know what people think of his potential. His first fight, well, he fought twice in the contender series in the same year. His first fight was against Aaron Jeffrey, who was went over to the PFL, was getting a little saucy, but was beating people up. <laughs> so he beats him. He then beats Jesse Murray in contender series. His introduction to the UFC is against Gaji Omar Gajiev, who is undefeated, 13-0 at the time. Yeah. Then after that, he has to take on Armin Petrosian. Mm. Totally different test, mm-hmm. right? You go from a grappler to a you know, basically a karate fighter, a kickboxer. And then after that, well-rounded Mahmoud Muradov, who had 32 professional fights at the time. And then Olian Jacek, who was a ranked light heavyweight at one point. And now he's taking on Abus Magomedov. So the the moment's not going to be too big. Nope. And he's in front of his hometown fans. He's, he's got home soil on him. And and mm. he's got he's got that kind of swag about him where it's just like like almost he seems like the cooler version of like a Paul Acosta, right? Where it's just like he's got <laughs> some swag about him. But yeah, the moment's not gonna be too big. And he doesn't have he doesn't have his last I mean, when's the last time he lost? Uh yeah. yeah twenty fifteen. So he doesn't have the the thing of like I just got broken down last fight, right? Where it where it, it has to make a difference, right? We know he's got the gas tank, we know he's got the skills. It it seems like, you know, I don't want to give too much information, so you steal my picks, but um <laughs> it just seems like this is a a a, a fight made for Bahali. Oh, we like you said, you start off by saying we talked about him so much. He's on that outside of the fifteen bubble that we just are so stoked about. And eventually he's gonna have to make that that jump. And for him, it might be it might be his time to shine. Yeah, I think he has passed every test up until this point. Now right. let's see. And only on Jacek, let's not get it twisted, is a very, very explosive fighter. Yep. And so for Bahalia, who does get hit, to be able to withstand that, and he's got a fucking massive neck, so his yeah. brain doesn't get rattled too much. Uh, but for him to be able to withstand that, he passed that big power in the hands test. Now he has that kick test. Yep. Hey, what can you do at kick range? Very interested to see how Maga Madoff plays that because he does switch stances. Does he allow himself to be susceptible to the calf kick by going southpaw? But then if you do that, if you try to avoid getting your calf kicked and you stay orthodox. Now your front leg is out there much closer for the single leg. So it's a, you know, he's going to be playing with fire there. And and that's what I want to see. How does Bahalio attack? Does he, is it a consistent game plan? Is it okay? When he's Southpaw, this is what we're doing. When he's orthodox, this is what we're doing. Very intriguing. And if you call yourself a fight nerd, like Bahalio does, like you better be, you better have some, those answers right away. Right? 100%. Put, put your hand up, ready to, ready to answer in class. Absolutely. So, and then in our co-main event of the evening, we have another one of these just wildly intriguing welterweight prospects, and that is uh, Gabriel Bonfim, his brother Ishmael Bonfim, also fighting on I this card. Kurt. Had he not been knocked out by Terrence McKinney in his last fight, we'd have been talking about Ishmael as well. We might be talking about him come come Monday uh, next week, but as of now, we'll stick to to Gabriel. 
He's taking on Nicholas Dalby. Now, Bonfim, 15-0, all of those finishes, three by way of knockout, 12 by way of submission, and you have to drag it out when it's that many. many. It's not just 12, it's 12. 12. Yeah, it's a lot. And both of his submissions in the UFC have come by way of guillotine. This dude, or sorry, yeah, because Contender Series was the... Von Prue. Von Prue, so yeah. <laughs> protect your neck. Yeah. <laughs> if you are fighting this man, Absolutely. protect your neck. The You look at, once again, here's a guy that has had just consistent steps up in competition. When he was on the Brazilian regional scene, he was never taking on guys that were outside of his experience level. And if he was, they were, you know, early on in his career, he's fighting like a seven and nine guy, a four and three guy. You know, those are the types of fight he's take, fights he was taking. But then you see he gets to LFA, which we know is a fantastic kind of rung below the major organizations, the Bellators, the PFLs, the, and then ultimately the UFCs. Won the welterweight Grand Prix there. So he was the LFA welterweight champion, which is nothing to sniff at. Gets the win over Munir Lazez, who was touted in his own right sure. going into that fight. Mounted guillotine quick. in under a minute. Yeah, quick. Yeah, I was about to pop his head off. <laughs> yeah, dude. And then takes on Trevin Giles. Didn't do the mounted guillotine this time. It almost looked like it was really cool to see. It looked like he baited Trevin Giles into the shot because he was on top and he almost kind of raised his level a little bit to let Giles start to work back to the feet. Yep. And the second Giles put his arms on the leg, boom, snatched it up. And he has the squeeze. He has the squeeze Absolutely. because when it gets, I mean, you see guys almost instantaneously like get their hand ready to tap. It is wild. I do not want to know what that feels like. No, <laughs> but, but, the problem with this fight I see is that Nicholas Dal- Dalby, you know, he's old. Danish dynamite. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. He's old, you know, 38, I believe. He is, yeah, 38 years old. So he's got he's got experience for days. It's going to be interesting because Gabriel Bonfim, he's, he's got me as a believer. I'm, like, super excited to see this guy. But it's like, what happens when it's not done quick against a guy that has experience? We... We just saw it, what was it, last week, right? We just saw it. I don't know. If that chaos isn't there, what type of fighter is Gabriel Bonfim? I don't know. I haven't seen, I've only seen the Dana White contender and the two UFC fights, so I don't know too mm-hmm. much of a history. I'm kind of just leaning on stats and all that. But when that chaos isn't there and you have someone that can kind of live through it, what does Bonfim look like after that moment? That's kind of what I'm really excited to see about this fight. Yeah, yeah, me too. And he had Bonfim had called out Neil Magny after their last fight because of course you're welterweight. <laughs> what you do, poor Neil. Uh, but proper Mike Malott said, "Hold my maple syrup, that's mine." Yeah. And so, however, Bonfim is getting a similar test in Dolby. I know what y'all are thinking. Like, no, no, he's not. They're not. He's not remotely close to Neil Magny. The reason I say a similar test is Dolby is that kind of guy that is going to pin you against the fence. He's going to make you work. The difference is, I actually think Dolby's a little more dangerous because he does have fight-changing power. You start talking about dangerous than like a Neil Magny? 
Yes. Okay, gotcha. There are more dire consequences. Gotcha. I'm not saying he's a better fighter. No, no, no. But I, there's I more you were dire. saying he's more dangerous than Bonfim or no Magni. I, I just want to make sure I was clear. Yeah, than Neil Magni. Yeah. Because he can clip you and hurt you. Yeah. And Dalby, he's older, but my man has, he's got 22 professional wins. He's 22, four and one. And, and, and b- yeah. with that stat too, he's never been finished. There was apparently a finish that got overturned, but he's never been finished. And it's like, well, now what do you do if you're a guy that's quick to finish and can't? That's why I'm really, I'm really mm-hmm. excited about this matchup, man. Yeah. And that, that takes me to my next point is Dolby is, as we talked about a little bit earlier with Angela Hill, Dolby's the kind of fighter that he is going to hold a mirror up to you. Yeah. He is going to show you who you are because he's going to be there, never been finished. And especially for a young prospect like Bonfim, where I don't want to say it's been easy, but it's been easy for him in the UFC. Right. The guy has had three fights combined between contender series and the UFC, and he's been in the cage for a total of less than six and a half minutes. (laughs) So. You're not getting Dolby out that quick. Now, if he does, because we we said something very similar about Ian Machado, Gary, and D-Rod. Yeah. And Ian Machado, Gary, got him out of there, and then it was like, okay, off to the races for you, sir, (laughs) because that's not an easy thing to do, which Dolby also holds a win over D-Rod, as well as Capoeira Dos Santos, Barley Alves, Muslim Salikov. The guy is very credentialed. But I want, like... Who's Bonfim going to be when that mirror is held up to him and he can't get Dolby out of there? Exactly. What does he look like in minute 14? Exactly. And, this and, is, and on the flip side, if Bonfim gets him out and actually stops him, it's like, okay, woo. well, then we learned something about you too, is that you, like how you're saying he's got that squeeze. Well, if he really has that squeeze and he can do that, well, you just finish somebody that's pretty hard to finish. If, if he finishes Dolby then it is top 15. Yeah. You know, in a division where it's very difficult to break into the top 15. Yeah. But if if you can finish Dolby, now you are talking about a top 15 caliber fight. Oh, and actually, I, I misspoke. Now that Hamzat is out of the welterweight division, Fakhradinov is ranked 15. Tight. So he is ranked now. Uh, but that would be an amazing... If Bonfim finishes Dolby... And Fakhradinov gets the win. I would love to see Fakhradinov and Bonfim fight because even though Fakhradinov is young in his UFC career, he's 30 years old. So he's somebody that's going to have to be, you're not going to bring him along slowly. Yeah. Right. So, uh, but that, oof. Yeah. Bonfim, if you put away Nicholas Dalby, you are there. You're, you're ready. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Bonfim leaves his chin in the air. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> which eh, not not great not great against nicholas dalby so yeah we'll see he i think he will get touched and we're gonna see how the chin responds yep. this is a very it's a big spot too it's in sao paulo co-main event I know. for a young fighter like this is this is big if he can get that win make the call out you know starts spitting the Portuguese after the win to the, the hometown fans. Like this is going to be it's, exciting. It's going to be different for him going forward. Like his life is going to be different. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And you know, the UFC is trying to push Brazilians, excuse me at this point, because they haven't had the Brazilian success that they have had Correct. in years past. And so, yeah, they're going to, if he went, if he finishes Dolby, 
rocket ship on on his back like let's go and good he's, for him yeah he deserves yeah. it no yeah, matter, no yeah, matter he, if, if he if especially if he gets the stoppage too it's yes. it's different man it's different. yeah when the win is very respectful yes. if you finish dolby yeah. that is it's never been done before yeah, it's over for you right in, ter- in terms of like you better get back in the gym because motherfuckers are coming for you <laughs> you know like yes yeah. not in an easy division no, no you're, no, you're no. talking about top 15 fighters in yeah. a just shark tank absolutely no the division that is slightly um not as deep as as the welterweight division is where our main event takes place can i just start off this by saying like do does what's going on does does someone hate the heavyweight division we have this fight i mean it's 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 a good fight but Mm -hmm. almeida versus blades was awesome yes jones versus miochik is over now it's like what what are we doing why can't we have fun fights here man why can't we just have the fun fights in the heavyweight it sucks yeah and they're still like interesting fights but it's just not like you can't get you can't announce a fight like six months out and get me all excited (sighs) and then have it be can't or you know changed within the last month it's disappointing a little bit. And you know what else would be disappointing? What? If y'all have not already gone over, click like, click subscribe, click follow, rate the episodes on your podcast listening service of choice. I'm a Spotify guy myself. You could be Apple Podcast. I think you're an Apple Podcast yes, guy. Yes, sir. All right. If you're an iHeartRadio person, <laughs> cool. I mean, evaluate your life, <laughs> but keep listening. Uh, but go over. Like, subscribe, follow, and then also on X at number one BS pod, you will be getting a featured prelim poll this week. You'll be getting fight picks. Um, We have an earlier card. It is a fight night. We'll see about the live post. You'll have to be following to know. Um, And then we'll also have an F update. So once again, you'll need to be following on your streaming service of choice so that way you know when the f update drops and when we're talking about dropping if you get hit by Derek lewis you're going to be dropped absolutely that is, absolutely that's the reality and so that's the test has changed for almeida it's no longer can he grapple a legitimate heavyweight grappler yeah. it is can he survive and get this fight to the ground. Yeah, but but you're absolutely right. But the problem is is that he's faced better defensive wrestlers in his career. And not saying that Derek Lewis is easy to take down, but if you if you have to put your money on it, Almeida, you know, no, Derek Lewis can hold power to the 24th minute and 59th mm-hmm. set, whatever. But I don't know. It's it feels it feels like in this fight that's all he has. Where Almeida mm-hmm. where Almeida does have striking, but he also has the takedown. And if it gets taken down, Derek Lewis isn't gonna survive. I, I I'm I'm a huge Derek Lewis fan. His 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 record in the last six fights, two and four, it doesn't look great, but I mean he's fighting killers and you know, it's the heavyweight division, but Almeida gets you I think Almeida gets Derek Lewis down. I don't think Derek Lewis is going to feel comfortable at all and, and be able to get it back up unless the round ends. And then that's where his, his best option is, is to try to knock him out. Now, the thing that I would say, say from it. a technical standpoint, yeah, Almeida in the grappling has it. But this is where I'm very interested 
how size plays into it. Because Almeida fought at welterweight yep. as recently as 2016. Yep. So within the last seven years, the guy was fighting at 170 pounds. He fought at light heavyweight already in the UFC. Sure. He comes in on fight night in the 230s. Derek Lewis at his lightest has been in the mid to high 250s. Yeah. And we have watched Derek Lewis just stand up with 250 pound sure. people, 260 pound people hanging on him. And he just stands up and shrugs them off. Sure. So this is a little now, different Almeida, though, right with Almeida. Yes. Yeah. Almeida's game's a little different. Yeah. He does a great job of the control. It's almost Dagestani, not in that it's like body locks and trips and stuff to get it to the ground, yeah. but he does the Dagestani handcuff where he's controlling the hands very, very well. Uh, as Dan Hardy calls it, the Dagestani leg irons mm-hmm. where he figure fours the legs. I mean, he does a very, very good job of controlling the person when he's on top. Yeah. But he hasn't, he has not fought somebody who has the just raw power Fair. that Derek Lewis has. I mean, if you look at their last few fights, Jailton Almeida, his last three fights, well, we'll go to the last four. Parker Porter, the pleasure, man. <laughs> Shamil Abdurahimov, nice. who was 41 years old at the time, and Jarzinho Rosenstrike. And so... Rosenstroik and Shamil are legitimate heavyweights, as is Parker Porter, but Parker Porter is like a shorter, not as skilled yeah. guy as, as those other two. But Jarzinho is a kickboxer through and through. Yeah. Right? Like, he was looking at his corner for advice when he got taken down by Almeida. Shamil cracked Almeida early. He's a, I'm pretty sure he's a Sambo world champion, at least master of sport in Sambo. Uh, but he's 41 years old. You know, and and he was getting beat on in that fight. You look at Derek Lewis's last few fights. Yeah, killer. Marcus Rogerio de Lima. Okay, Sergey Spivak, Sergey Pavlovich, Ty Tuivasa, Chris Dacus, Cyril Gon, Curtis Blades, Alexi Olenek. I mean, he's fought everybody. Yep. And so this is a very different type of test for Almeida than it is for Derek Lewis. And what's worrisome from the Almeida standpoint. It's a five-round fight. Yeah. And if you are having to grapple for five rounds with somebody who outweighs you by 30 pounds, that's going to wear. I don't care what kind of shape you're in. And I mean, look at Almeida. He's in great shape. Well, but hold on. But like, that's going to wear you out. You think it still wears you out if you're the one on top, though? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you're still having to control. Yeah. You are. Yeah. You know, like even the, the wrap, the Dagestani handcuff where you're holding on to that, it's not like they're just letting you hold their arms, sure. right? He, you you have a very big, strong, skilled human being trying to get their arm free. Sure. So that's that takes a lot. Yeah. And so I'm interested to see how that wears on Almeida as the fight goes on. The, the other thing, and Lewis proved it in the Blades fight, he's patient. Yeah. He'll wait for the one shot. I mean, he waited until the second round against Blades, and it was the first time Blades really committed to a shot. Crack, uppercut, game over. And so all Lewis has to do is get back to his feet, which I know much more difficult. Could be hard, yeah. Than, but it's against a guy who's smaller than he is. Correct. And time it out. And Almeida has a tendency 
to shoot from very far away, and he doesn't always set it up. Sure. And with the change of opponent, I mean, it's been it's been weeks. You know, it'll, it'll be weeks that he has the opportunity to to game plan for it. With the danger that Derek Lewis brings, absolutely. Now, the opening betting line is Almeida minus 550 and Derek Lewis plus 400. I think that's probably just because Almeida was in camp, I guess, right? Like, get, get money out there. Uh, I think that's a little crazy, but... You, I, like I said, I'm a big fan of Derek Lewis. I like I like Derek Lewis's personality. I like him outside the cage as well as in the cage. But it almost feels like in this particular fight for me, and maybe I'm just showing a little bias. I don't know. It just feels like all he has is his power. Where Almeida has the opportunity to pepper him up, but then also, you know, Derek Lewis swings for the fences and he gets under, gets taken down. If that happens five times and you keep him down five times, the fight's over, right? Like you're stopped. Mm-hmm. If you don't, if you don't submit him. You won five rounds. So I don't know. It's going to be a fun fight because the thing with Derek Lewis is you always have that. Well, he's back on his feet, and if he's on his feet, he has an opportunity. And like you said, that patience with Curtis Blaze was something of wonder. I mean, it was, it was disgusting. It was yeah. almost like Ngannou knocking off uh, Overeem's head. You know, it's just mm-hmm. it's that uh, it's that heavyweight power that you're that I could never imagine being hit by. No, that would. <laughs> kill people of mine and your size dude it would literally kill me yeah yeah it would be oh yeah hundred yeah. yeah yeah Derek could be going to jail <laughs> so the now one thing that i do want to bring up though with this is Derek lewis has fought 27 times in the ufc and in every single one of those fights he has known this person's gonna try to take me down because they think my one right. avenue to victory is to knock him out on the feet and so he has dealt with that what he is going to see now, how people take him down, the level of skill of the people trying to take him down, that varies. But ultimately, he goes into every fight knowing what's coming his way. Almeida has not, to this point, fought a true one-punch shut-you-off guy. Right. You can say Rosenstrike, but he hasn't really done that in the UFC, You know, other than, what was it, Chris Dawkins, And I think he did it as well to... Uh, uh, well, he did it to Overeem late in the yeah. you know, round five, but and Augusto Sakai, you know, but that's not, those are all like stand up guys. Yeah. So Rose Strike, fish out of water once it hit the ground. Derek Lewis has, has had to prepare for this over and over. And so I am very interested how Almeida looks. Now, Almeida comes from a boxing family. He has openly talked about wanting to showcase his boxing. Yeah. The Blades fight might have been the fight to do that. This not, not the fight to try to do that. And unless unless there's just something special about Almeida that we don't know, where he's just like, no, I can do that. But yeah, this isn't the fight that I'm like, well, let me try my boxing out on Derek Lewis. No, dude, yeah. don't do that. No, bad idea. And the one thing I did notice though about Almeida's takedowns, even though he shoots from 84 feet away, shoots, is shoots. He puts his head away from the power side. Yeah. So his head is going on the outside of the lead leg, which helps protect it from uppercuts, the rear knee, that kind of thing. So there is some, I want to see if he'll be able to do that against Lewis or if Lewis's footwork is good enough to make sure that, you know, the head stays down the center line on the shot so he can line up the uppercut. We'll see. Because if Almeida passes this test, you look at the people above him then, 
right? Tuivasa, I mean, the only like non-power puncher above him would be Spivak. That's assuming John Jones is no longer in the UFC. Sure. You know, af- after his next fight. So, I mean, if if Almeida passes this test, it's it's going to be a test he's going to have to pass over and over and over again moving forward. I think probably the only other one to the level of Derek Lewis is Pavlovich yeah. when it comes to like that true just one and you're done uh, type type fight. But ooh, well, we're going to learn. Let me ask you this. He passes this test. He goes out and he beats Lewis. Do you just rebook the Blades fight? Let's just have some fun, right? Yeah, yeah I think so. let's just do it, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100% because it's still – he's fighting down now, right? Almeida's yeah. number nine. Lewis is number 10. Blades was five, so you definitely let him fight up. I don't think – when you look at the people above him, right, Spivak just got – I don't want to say embarrassed, but embarrassed against Gon. Yeah. Volkov doesn't deserve to fight another grappler because he got roughed up by Blades and just got held down for 25 minutes. Uh Obviously, Aspinall and Pavlovich, we know what's happening there. So there's not a ton above him that he could really fight. Uh, you know, I think if he beats Lewis, you don't then just turn around and give him two Avasa. So, yeah, let's rebook. Blades yeah, especially with two Avasas on a three-fight losing streak. It's yeah. like, give him Blades. And if, if why wouldn't Blades be okay with that fight? It's like, I was already going to fight him once. Let me let me do that. And then you yeah. just have a win over Derek Lewis, who people like. So mm-hmm. if I'm Blades, I'm like, yeah, rebook it. Uh, I, I want to see it. That's the fight I want to see. Yeah, especially because four blades, he has to fight down. Yeah, uh, he. Ha- it's just the the nature of where he's at. Uh, and if you're going to fight down, why not fight down against somebody who is the hot name, right? The prospect in the yep. division, other than Pavlovich and Aspinall. So yeah. I think, yeah, I, I think that that is if Almeida passes the test, the the rebooking that that you could do there. And then we've been talking about them quite a bit. So I do want to get into UFC 295. We did have some really, really big news this last week. Uh, shake up on that card. And yes, I am talking about uh, Matt Schnell. Number nine <laughs> at flyweight is out for his fight against number 14, Steve Urseg. Uh, Alessandro Costa is now filling in. So that fight that I know everyone uh, it's been the talk of Twitter yeah. all week or X, X, X. All, X my, my bad. Son of a bitch. <laughs> all, all week. Uh, sorry, guys. You are going to have to wait. Uh, Urseg coming off of that short notice upset over David Dvorak now taking on Alessandro uh, Costa. There was one other change to that card. Don't know if you saw this one. This one wasn't as publicized. Uh, John Jones tore his pack. He's going to be out. Bitch. Yeah, he's going to be out at least eight bitch. months. And the the ex post war, I don't know what you call them, Twitter fingers. I don't know what you call them now. Mm-hmm. Just oh, he's so scared. It's like John Jones isn't scared, guys. Like no. we have to stop this nonsense now. The problem is, I don't want to see it eight months down the road. I wanted to see yeah, it yeah. now. <laughs> I wanted to see it right now. It's such bummer news. And man, when was it your brother that? Texas first, or was it you? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm man. It's like, oh, yeah, because it was like five in the morning. I'm like, yeah, Josh, what are you doing? Why are you up? That's not what I want to wake up to, Josue. Yeah. You know yeah. it, was, it was almost like I I read Josh's text, and I was like, please just have read fake news. Please just have mm-hmm. read fake news. You know, we're so close to the fight. It just makes the heavyweight division a little bit. John Jones just makes it a little bit better, right? It just makes it a little bit mm-hmm. better, him fighting. But. 
He's out. And whatever. <laughs> whatever. And, and then there's been some back and forth on if they ask Stipe to fight or not. Stipe saying they never offered me an interim fight. I would have taken it. Correct. You know, like I want to fight. And they Dana White saying, oh, well, it would have been disrespectful to offer it to him. I think they know that the money fight for them, the legacy fight. And I think it shows the power that John Jones has behind the scenes of like, that's the fight John Jones wants. So they're going to make sure that that fight happens. Sure. And if you put Stipe in with Pavlovich or Tom Aspinall, uh, I don't think those are fights he wins at his age. It's, it's, it's going to be problems for him. Like n- yeah. now Stipe just might be the, the heavyweight person. That's like, you know what? He's, clearly better than everybody we just haven't seen him fight in what is it 16 years now yeah but i'm not putting my money on steve a fighting either of those two men yeah so that i think that's why they did that is they want to give john jones the legacy fight of you know the opportunity to beat the greatest heavyweight in ufc history sure. so i get it sucks for steve he's gonna be like 42 by the time they fight and yeah it's it's unfortunate now that being said the fight that they did book for the interim. Awesome. Ah, yes. Tom Aspinall, Sergey Pavlovich. And I did see something on X that I thought was was pretty funny. They're like, for interim belt, should they just make the belt silver instead of gold? No. <laughs> like, yeah, why not? Right? Yeah. It's not the real belt anyways. Rude. <laughs> Rude. Well, then if that's not the real belt, idea. what color does the actual true real belt, the BMF belt be? Well, it's black. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because it's the only, yeah, the only belt that matters. Yeah. So, (laughs) so we don't even need to talk about the other fight. (laughs) So let me ask you this real quick. No. With the booking of Aspinall Pavlovich, amazing fight. Like, there's no, Mm -hmm. there's, sure, you want to see it in full camps and stuff. And I'll always be the person that says full camp. But this is one of those things that one of these guys, unfortunately, is going to lose. And, now we don't have both of these guys vying for the belt. It's almost like great matchup, but oh man, right? It's almost like that all man thing where it's like one of let's say Aspinall loses. What do you do? You know, like now he has yeah. to wait so long before he even gets in title contention again. Not necessarily well, because you're gonna have to wait eight months for the actual heavyweight belt to fight for John Jones yeah. if that happens. And let's say it's actually not eight months, it's ten months. Let's say the timelines, and then you have to see what happens with that, and then. The let's say Aspinall wins that fight, or, or whoever won that fight, then gets that thing. Then you're waiting, so you're waiting at least another year, year and a half before you get to, unless someone gets hurt again. You know, it, it is it is putting your title contention just a little behind because of the eight months from now title mm-hmm. fight. Yeah, but I think that's part of why they're doing doing the interim belt is to make it so the interim belt can be defended mm. during that time too. That would be the uh, dumbest. I hate that. I hate what you I just did. said so much. Yeah. I know you do too. I hate it <laughs> yeah. so much. Don't defend an interim belt. That's yeah. silly. Yeah, I'm with you. But I, I also think they're both Stipe and John Jones retire after their fight. Shut your so mouth. I think it, it's a it's like a one-off legacy fight. And after that, you know, they're both going to ride off into the sunset. And so like the way I'm looking at it is Pavlovich Aspinall, like this is the heavyweight belt and this is going to be the one moving forward. Okay. Uh, you know, Pavlovich was, he was in camp because he was going to be the alternate for okay. this fight. Now Aspinall is coming back from an injury. Mm-hmm. He's on shorter notice. So that's interesting, 
but he had also let it be known that basically he was being told after Jones Stipe, they're both going to retire and you're going to fight Pavlovich for the title early next year. Okay. So I, ultimately the plan is just playing out a little differently than what the UFC had in mind. But these are two of the new breed heavyweights, and this is going to be a banger. But yeah, and it's just it's going to be interesting because we haven't seen Pavlovich tested since he fought over him. Yeah. I mean, he is putting everybody out and doing it quickly. Yep. And we haven't, I mean, Aspinall can get hurt, you know, and Pavlovich has those scratches knees while he's standing up long ass arms mm -hmm. it's going to be interesting i'm i am more intrigued by this matchup than i was stipe jones not saying i want to watch it more just yeah. because i want to see john jones fight he's the greatest of all time how crazy is it that that man is the greatest of all time and there's so many what could have been associated with his oh, no. career now maybe if he was fighting that whole time he loses a fight who knows yeah but all of those what could have been where he had years taken out during his prime. He wasn't fighting for years during his prime. Just wild, right? And so just speaks to his legacy. He's one where somebody could, you know, people on the come up be like, my name's Tommy John Harris. Yeah, you know? yeah. That's <laughs> what I was thinking about earlier when I, when I said, but like John is so basic. You don't know who John is, right? Like you'd have to. Well, use there's no H. Yeah, There's but no you, you'd have to use bones, right? Like bones would make more sense. It'd be like yeah. the it'd be like the sugar is it'd be like those type of things where I see someone being like, you know, we're you know this young guy is growing up and they're like you're just you fight like Bones Jones and it's like you know so and so Bones whatever. But yeah, regardless, wanted to see John Jones fight. Super super sad, but this this is a great heavyweight fight. I mean, it's it's the next best heavyweight matchup in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, and what's very interesting because normally the heavier the weight class the mm -hmm. the higher the order on the card but that's actually the co-main mm -hmm. the main event is i think this is the real belt but i'm not sure yeah, light knows. heavyweight championship between yuri prohaska and poeton which is it's interesting to me that they are making this one the main event and i don't know if that has to do with yuri technically Having had the belt, never losing it in the cage, so they're saying this is for the real belt. I'm not sure. I feel like um, it's a testament to like how they think Poetan is viewed by the public, right? Yeah. I think I think they really think that Poetan gets his belt, he is skyrocketing like superstardom. I really mm -hmm. think that, yeah, yeah. I also think, how about both these fights? Like something violent is going to. Oh, happen. this is first of all the weirdest matchup in the heavyweight division. Like these guys are so weird in terms of like <laughs> Poetan can't even like smile around his family and shit. And Yuri's <laughs> in the mountains just doing mountain man shit. Yeah, but that's... this is gonna be, this is gonna be where we saw Poetan kind of slow down a little bit against uh, Jan. Mm -hmm. Yuri's not gonna have that slow down as well, right? So this is gonna be a good test for Poetan in that division. And Yuri could go out there and just starch because we don't know if Poetan's power is going to translate to the light heavyweight division. But if Poetan goes out there and just Poetan's him. Yeah, Yuri gets hit yeah, a that's lot. The, that's the problem. He gets, his defense is like punch me in the chin, dude. Yes. Yeah. yeah. His defense is like wacky, wavy, inflatable arm flailing too, man. Just like, tries to get out of the way. Um, but that being said, Last time he he's been out for a couple of years. Yeah, 
right? Or a year. So well, a year and a half it'll be. So he hasn't taken damage. Yeah. So Brain's had time to recover. Well, he hasn't Last taken he... damage in competition. We don't know what he does in his personal yeah, time. Yeah, he might be headbutting trees and shit. <laughs> uh, but last time he got knocked out, it was like eight years ago in 2015 yep. by King Mo. Yep. So we'll see. That That is going to be a very, very fun fun fight. Interesting that it got elevated up there to the main event on that card. Well, and also I like I almost like that because we're so used to seeing like the heavier weights be the main events. But I almost kind of like it because with a with an Asmol Pavlovich, it could be a one round fight. It could be mm-hmm. who knows heavyweight. This might be a little bit longer. So it's like if we're gonna have Madison Square Garden and we're gonna have the main event, let's let's make it maybe a longer main. Out of those two, if you had to pick which one's gonna last longer, I would say Yuri versus Poetan. So maybe they're trying to extend that main event out a little bit longer, being in the uh, venue that they're in or the arena. So, well, I don't know. Well, shit. I am all for lighter weight classes getting the shine because any bantamweight or flyweight, heck, even featherweight at this point, title fight, I don't care what card it's on, make it the main event. Yeah. Because those fights are just always I'll give you that. so good. So good. Um, But that's it for our preview of... Uh, UFC fight night in Sao Paulo after having one week off of fights. Anything else on your end? No, sir. All right. So I did have one other thing that I want to talk about Perfect. real quick. Uh, I don't know if you saw the clip on X one FC this past, uh, they had have events like every week on Fridays or one championship and they give bonuses and they do it in the cage right yeah. at, or in the ring right after the fight. And they tell, but you know, you just got $50,000 and the announcer's super animated when he does it. It's really kind of cool. dope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cause you get to see the real, yeah. like, the emotion after being in a fist fight of like shit. Now I'm getting paid more. Mm. They did it for the translator. They gave the, oh, the Japanese translator $350,000 in, yeah, in the ring. And you see him and you know, having lived in japan like mm. when they when japanese people get animated it's like the japanese game show almost yeah, yeah, like yeah. over the top that's how the guy was announcing it telling the awesome. the translator and you see the translator take like a minute to process it and then just like get down on the ground and like oh, very respectful awesome. like the yeah so just one of those things really really cool to see uh and of course somebody uh, had to post uh hey dana white you know can you hit fabiano up <laughs> oh man he deserves it Hell yeah, he deserves it. That man loves he, his job. Yes, and I I love that he loves his job. But he, he probably does it in the background, though. Let's be real. Yeah, yeah he's probably yeah, getting paid. Yeah. He's probably getting paid. But as always, appreciate y'all for listening. Love and respect. Later.